2: Everybody, and welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. This is Shad here with Matt and Brad. Guys, what's up? Uh, doing good, Shad. Doing well. I'm glad to hear it. And I'm glad each and every one of you out there is listening, whether it's right when it drops or if it's a day later or whatever, doesn't matter. We're just glad you're listening. Last week, Brad beat the crap out of us. And as it turns out, he wasn't done because we weren't through with the best in-ring worker of the 80s tournament, were we?
0: Nope. So we have eight guys left in three rounds to determine who the goat of the 80s is.
2: So, uh, okay, can you do a recap uh, of last week?
0: So in round one, Ric Flair defeated Bobby Eaton. Kurt Henning beat Nick Bockwinkle. Randy Savage beat Ricky Morton. Terry Funk defeated Dynamite Kid. Ricky Steamboat beat Terry Gordy. Stan Hansen beat Sergeant Slaughter. Jerry Lawler beat Harley Race. And Ted DiBiase beat Hacksaw Jim Duggan.
2: Man, some of those still hurt.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so we ready? That's... we ready to continue the role of pain?
3: Uh, I may as well. Let's do this. So you think... know what I'm hoping? Hold on. Before we What's go up? further. I'm hoping that we get... Uh, I hope that the tournament... Works out so that we get a uh, Funk versus Lawler again in the tournament. <laughs> that is. I, I, I'm gonna tell you what. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna I'm gonna take Jerry Lawler. I'm gonna kick his fucking ass. Oh come on, Terry. <laughs> Terry. God, let, me, let me put down my cigarette, Terry. You can't use that sort of language here. <laughs> That's he's ironic. Unironically, the best part of that whole match. <laughs> this is an iconic match. We it for the show. That's like I love it.
0: I think the thing with Lance Russell in that match is, like, that's announcer 101 and how, like, an announcer accentuates those moments.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Everything about his role in that, I'm sorry to cut you off, Shad. Everything about that is perfect. He's, like, he's just, like, annoyed that he's waiting around. He's, like, just (laughs) chain-smoking cigarettes, palm-alls, probably, unfiltered palm-alls. He's just chain-smoking, and then Terry Funk comes out and starts cursing and ranting. It's, come on, Terry. He's, and this, also, he's just so disappointed in all of them.
0: He's also great during the first Tupelo concession stand brawl where he's, like, barking orders at, like, the crew. He's like, I don't care. Like, we'll edit it and post. Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> the thing that I love about how Lance Russell is during that is he's chastising Terry Funk for his behavior, but he's not undercutting him. So you get a whole bunch of, like, oh, come on, man, don't be, no, don't do, but he's not, like, directly opposing him or cutting his legs off.
0: No, Lance Russell does, like, um, he's, like, the disappointed, like, grandfather. He just wants, (laughs) like, he just wants, he just wants to have, like, a show of, like, some good old-fashioned wrestling where, like, everyone has a good time and no one gets hurt and, you know... It's all above board, and then, you know, these dastardly heels um, screw it up. Like, I, there's a guy, um you know, I can't think of it. Johnny Sorrow, who used to be on, like, uh, the Pro Wrestling Network shows that described him best as, like, you have to envision Memphis Wrestling as the Muppet Show, and mm-hmm. um, Lance Russell as Kermit dun, dun, the Frog. Dun, 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 dun.
2: Yeah, Kermit's trying to get things un, in under control and have a good show. Yeah, and and
0: those crazy wrestlers keep screwing it up.
2: Meanwhile, you know Gonzo's blowing stuff up, and Fozzie won't get off the stage, and so on and so forth. But it's
0: I think what I like about Lance though is if you watch a lot of Memphis, which we've started watching it more, is anytime he's interacting with the wrestlers, like he has his own. Di- it's he. Had, It's something mean Gene really has if you watch like the backstage like selling the show's vignettes from like the eighties. He has like he has like a relationship with each wrestler. Like he Mm -hmm. has a different rapport with each guy. He approaches each guy differently. Like they have a certain back and forth with each other. It feels like Lance and that guy have like a relationship off camera to a degree. Yeah.
2: There's a rapport. Yeah, and in having the rapport, then you're able to do other stuff with it. Um, I agree with you, but okay, it's a, we keep stalling because.
0: Well, the first one's the first one's probably the easiest of the decisions this week.
2: Oh, okay, oh, now that concerns me.
0: So this one's just Ric Flair versus Kurt Henning, which I mean that's not uh, that's not um, that's not an easy one, but I feel like for me. Like as great as Kurt Henning is, like it's Ric Flair. Like I can't, I can't, I can't take, um, I can't take Flair down for Henning.
2: Go ahead, Matt. I need, I need Wait. a minute to compose myself.
3: This is Flair versus Henning. mm mm-hmm. yeah. If Henning is a great worker, uh, but I, I can't, I can't get conscious take him above Flair. Like Flair, I I've really conflicted about Flair a lot in the last couple of years. Just with everything we know, like from the Dark Side of the Ring episode of about the plane ride from Hell, and just he's unfortunately Flair has
0: Flair was a gimmick it, a little too hard.
3: He he plays the gimmick a little too hard, and and unfortunately he's he's kind of reaching to that status of like I'll say legend, but it's like you it, it there is like a a, a line. There's like a fine line that certain people can walk between like nostalgia and it's like okay, just I have nostalgia for you, but if you're always around or trying to be around, you're just over the top. It's like it, it becomes less. In, the seventy-year-old, wrinkled, uh, mottled skin, balding flare as like oh, and the ladies' man, like having sex with women. All it's like yeah. uh, I don't, I don't need the limousine. He doesn't ride and jet. That I, that's done. He like...
0: doesn't, Um. he doesn't, he doesn't, there's, a, like, I know Hogan has his problems as a person, but, like, Hogan really toes that line of, he wants to get his stuff and do his autographs and stuff, but there's, like, Hogan still has, like, a tiny bit of mystique to him, and there's a bit of inaccessibility, like, he's not on everything, and, like, Flair just, like, whores himself out, like, relentlessly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, my problem with Flair. It's just kind of like god, like could you stop talking because like you really like ruin everything when
2: you talk. The thing that bugs me, like you said, he he puts his face on everything. Like <clears throat> I know that this this part of the arrangement of getting him on Sting's last run was the the Woo energy drink thing, right? But that's that's just Flair trying to cash in on some other way because in the words of D'Lo Brown if I had one year like Ric Flair had in the business then I would have been set for life and for some reason he's broke like Ric Flair made a lot of money and then spent even more and so now you know he's he's grabbing for anything to to keep keep cash flow coming in and it's hard it's hard to watch. It's really hard to watch because it's like uh, you know you just kind of groan and you go, "Come on, man, just just come on, and I'm scrambling because i I really want to try and find a way to justify picking henning over flair but i mean 80s the 80s were flair's decade and, and anything
0: we've watched <clears throat> is the 80s even some like pissant like five minute tv match with a nobody he's still excellent like it's he's he's absolutely ridiculous in the 80s
2: this the stories of flair's cardio just being so good that he would go 45 minutes and say it's time to kick it into gear and uh, people he's in there working with are just dying.
0: I mean, Sting held up, but like that, that, that draw with Sting, like he didn't even look like he was tired.
2: Yeah. And, and that's what I was getting at is that he's just so, he's just such a cardiovascular freak.
0: And like he'd that... do that nightly. That's the thing people don't yeah. understand is Flair yeah. would be like, oh yeah, let's go work 60 and come back the next night. It's like, eh, I'm a little tired tonight. Let's do 55.
3: Yeah. Well, he, I think he even did double shots at some time. It's like there yeah. were points he did double shots and it would be like, like he'd work a guy doing like an hour match, like Broadway or just, they would just go super long. And then he'd be like, all right, I got to show, uh, let's say somewhere close enough that they could like, like, I'm going to do the big show in Charlotte. I got to go to Atlanta. It's like, they would hop into like a plane yeah. and fly and that's the short distance. So it was like, maybe you'd be there in like an hour. It's like you go wrestle another show, do another, you know, even if it's like a ten minute match, it's like you just did like sixty, like. And then you guys cooled out, down. Yeah, a lot of guys out there, it's like they would do a ten minute match it'd be sucking wind by the end of it.
2: Yeah. Or it,
0: CM Punk, you would be getting to the ring in the Rumble <laughs> and you'd already be like, "Oh, does anyone have water? I'm really tired."
3: Guys that wore like eight ligaments walk into the ring.
0: And, and I want to, <laughs> I do want to say something about Flair too, because we've seen we've seen like probably a handful of his eighties matches now. And like a lot of people, a lot of his detractors like bitch about him having a formula. And it's like, now that I've seen a lot of his eighties work, it's like, yes, he has a formula, but when you watch his matches back to back, to back, to back, it does not smack you in the face because like he, it's similar to Kenny Omega, where people would say um, like where Kenny does have a formula, but he works his like opponents into the formula.
2: It's if I'm going to pick and, and at some point I am at some point I am going to pick on Flair about this, the um, for having the formula thing, because it, it, it's just a personal preference thing. Yeah, and I, I here's here's where I'm giving Omega some credit is Omega's stuff. He's Omega's whole match. He's building to the one wing and angel. But there's there's a lot more ways to get there than it is getting to the figure four, because the figure four is I'm working the leg. But it's also a testament to how good Flair was that he worked, you know, that he had had his formula for as long as he did. And people didn't wear out on it. So.
1: And
0: and I think, too, where I I think the most impressed I've been with Ric Flair, other than the Almadro match, which we didn't do on the show, but when we watched the world-class cage match and the match wasn't even about him and he was still working his ass off. Yeah. Like, I think he bladed and he was like selling and stuff. And like, even the parts that weren't about him, like, and he knew he needed to be like in the background. Like he still worked hard. Like he could have dogged it on that and be like, Oh, this isn't about me. Like I'm going to pout. And instead he, he put in like a flair performance.
2: I, I, I think part of what you're getting at is the fact that Ric Flair was not capable he didn't of not
0: have an off switch.
2: Yeah. Well, he, he just, he was going to go out there and do a good job regardless. And so, you know, it's like, wow, that's, um, that's a hell of a thing. And, and it, then you're left going, well, Damn, what do what do we do now, right? Like, what's where? He just he was always doing that, always consistent, always putting in the effort. And
0: did did you watch the Ricky Morton breaking his sunglasses clip that I posted? (laughs)
2: Yeah,
0: it was. You know what shocked me about that is I don't even think that could be on TV now, and they were doing that in the '80s on cable, like where he pulls like the bra out and stuff. I think like that would be a no go on TV these days.
2: It probably would. Um but I mean it it may have also just been that no one had ever considered that someone would try and do that on TV at the time.
0: But you know, that's what I love about the Techwood crowds though is like they're a smart crowd and stuff and they're like a southern crowd so you just get like the whistling and like the crowds like enjoying the the crap talking.
2: Yeah, they're they get they they bought into the spectacle very well. Yeah. So.
0: So are we just an agreement flair here despite Kurt Henning being? I would also say I would say Kurt Henning's. Kurt Henning's prime as a worker, I would say, was like eighty seven to like ninety two.
2: Yeah, I was going to say more of his prime work was going to be in the 90s than it was in the 80s. He he
0: did some good stuff in ninety three.
2: Yeah, more more of his more of his his shine was gonna be in the the nineties than the eighties. So yeah. I just really wanted to find a good way to do it to see if I could and I, I can't know. do it.
0: The next one's gonna be the uh no yeah, this is probably gonna be the worst one. Mm. And mm. it's probably an unfair one, and I know who I'm gonna vote for without a question on this one, and it kinda hurts me. So this is Randy Savage's Terry Funk. And um so I'll start this one off again. I love Randy Savage. Randy Savage is amazing. But Terry Funk, if we ever did like a greatest of all time list, like of everyone ever, ever, ever that wrestled, Terry Funk would probably be number two on my list, maybe number one. And um Randy Savage would be like in the top 10, but probably under four. And like Terry Funk was amazing in the 80s. Like just the Ric Flair angle at 89. Um you know stuff he did in like Georgia and all of that like Terry Funk is just like Terry Funk is the man
3: Terry Funk we were kind of talking about him last episode but Terry Funk is incredibly unique in that he he's one of the reason why he's arguably the greatest or one of the greatest he's he's definitely one of the greatest of all time but if you want to make the argument that he is the greatest of all time It's because he like unlike so many guys, he was able to reinvent himself and adapt to essentially like multiple different decades. Or at least I'll say at least three decades. Like he was obviously much he was very big in the seventies. In the eighties he still found a way to adapt and
0: I mean he's the NWA champ in the seventies.
3: Yeah. Do like unique Uh, Unique stuff in the 80s Like change his style a little bit Become more of like the crazy cowboy Uh, I would say
0: that's kind of It's kind of He kind of starts doing the crazy old Man thing and kind of starts Transitioning into like The Terry Funk of the 90s That I think we're most familiar with
3: Yeah and of course like the 90s Which you know the hardcore legend hardcore icon Terry Funk which That's almost unfair because it's like his his career was overall so good that if people like fell in love with like the ECW brawling hardcore stuff, it's like that's like that's a fraction of his work. And I would not even particularly rate it like the good part of his work. But it did make him relevant. It did make him someone that people would want to see and pay money to go see.
0: He debuted in nineteen sixty five.
3: Okay, yeah. I mean, he he wrestled multiple decades. Yeah.
0: Wrestled, let me see. Hold on, I have it here. He wrestled and He debuted in 1965, and his last match was in 2017.
2: Good lord. So.
0: I wonder how long Nick Bonawitz wrestled, because he was ridiculous too. Well, Thad um, was too.
2: Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm. How, I'm I'm trying to find the right way to say this cuz I know I'm I'm going to piss somebody off with it but the idea uh Matt already made it you know made a great point that Terry Funk's career and reinvention you know long running uh, quality reinvention on a on a big stage over and over again And I'm going to say even like there's a, there's older stuff that I just don't particularly enjoy watching Um because I'm in this weird I, – I guess I fit into kind of this weird space as a wrestling fan where I want – I like to see guys doing cool stuff, but I want it to be a little big. I want it to be – a little exaggerated and when you get into the older stuff and it's so much more grounded and that sort of thing, it's less fun for me to watch. But the fact that we got to look back there and, you know, Terry Funk was a huge name and, you know, was NWA champion in the seventies and then we get in the eighties and he gets a little more wild and, and then we get in the nineties and so on and so forth. Like even in the era I don't care for, I still have to look and go, man, you know, he was at the top of the mountain there. You know, Terry Funk was, and why I mean, did he I not think... say the NWA champion? He just didn't want to do the travel. Well, he was like, eh, I, I'm I enjoying mean, that.
0: I think the NWA lineage in the 70s was Dory Funk Jr., Jack Briscoe, Terry Funk, Harley Race. And then, like, I think there might have been, like, a switch with Giant Baba and, like, Dusty in there with Race.
2: Yeah. But, <clears> I mean,
0: <throat> I, I think, too, um, oh, and I look Thez up. Thez wrestled from 32 to 90.
2: God, God, mighty! That's I, just I crazy talk.
0: You have liked some of the old stuff we've watched.
2: I'm just saying in general. You it, liked, it's the um, general preference of mine.
0: I think you liked Dick the Bruiser and Giant Baba, didn't you?
2: I. But that not was not kind remember. of
0: a, that was kind of a big brawl where like Dick the Bruiser cheats and cheats and Giant Baba like kind of gives it back to him
2: i don't know I, I i honest to god i don't remember i've been hit in the head a few times <laughs> i don't um, like it
0: i think you kind of liked the destroyer and don leo jonathan but they were kind of doing like big stuff
2: so i'm just i like that one a lot too like the, i'm expressing in terms of just kind of generalities of what i have seen of those eras you
0: don't like them sitting in a hold for like five minutes even if they're even if they're doing stuff
2: it it there you if you're gonna be in a hold for a long time then i need to be at like need it to be like um piper and was it piper and briscoe yeah yeah where they're like up and working it and doing stuff like i don't
0: if, or where if, um if... destroyer was doing like the you know he's got him in the headlock but he's like cranking the head and cranking the head and
2: and they're moving around, like they're yeah. they're doing stuff with it. I and I consider it
0: a, like I'm fine with that.
2: Yeah, I, I consider it a deficiency in a uh in a visual uh visual medium if you grab a hold and just sit there for a while. It's part. Of, I think that's part of what soured me on Randy Orton a lot was the yeah the chin lock proclivity and that sort of thing. But it's a even, even to go into that era, I've got to look and say, well, damn, you know, Terry Funk was what you said. One of just what, like five
0: yeah, NWA
2: was, champions that in was, that
0: era. Yeah, that was like, a he was, I think he was champ for like two years. I've seen the match where he loses it to Harley race.
2: And he only dropped the title cause he didn't want to do all the travel. Like he could have stayed NWA champion, but he chose not to do it anymore. And like, Imagine, you know, uh, of everybody we've had since then, Chris most people crying
0: from like hit the seventh pit of hell right now that someone willingly gave up the title and right, killed right. all of his children because he couldn't get it.
2: And so the fact that so many people in the even in the contemporary age they go out on their shield because you know the the people who go out when they choose to seems to be much more rare and that's part of what makes it so special that sting is getting to you know sting has been able to call a shot and say at this point you know I'm this is this is when I'm going to say that, that I'm going to be done and first of all being sharp enough to To look at it and go, well, this, this is when I need to, this is when I need to, to, to go on as opposed to being too hurt to keep doing it or something like that. Like that's, there's a level of self-awareness in that, that I really respect. And then, you know, Funk wasn't just the artifact of the time. He's like, no, I'm going to do other stuff too. And he kept doing it at a high level. I, I really, Really like Randy Savage. Randy Savage is kind of uh, the way you like to describe him, um, Brad. As it, the way you like to describe um, Omega is Omega has like some Keystone spots he comes back to, but then after he does, you know, you can put them together. However, you can use them on anybody. Stuff like that.
0: He has a very simplistic, like basic offense that you can string together really easy.
2: Savage. Did that as well. And so I, you know, Savage is kind of the proto version of that. And Savage was able to do that same style without modifying it for a really long time just off of, you know, his sheer presence and physical charisma and, and everything.
0: And this is going to sound like a really weird compliment to the guy, but I actually mean this full heartedly. And he might actually embody this more than any other wrestler ever and it's a complaint i have about a ton of wrestlers when you watch randy savage talk and he gets in the ring he wrestles like the guy that just cut the promo before he got in the ring
2: Hmm. yes that that's another yeah the the presentation matches the ring work and so i like i really really appreciate and enjoy randy savage um It is really hard for me. Like, for example, if it had come down to Flair and Savage, I probably would have picked Savage because I just straight up like him more. Um, I would have
0: probably picked Flair, but that would have been a very difficult one.
2: So for me to look at it and go. Yeah, it's Terry Funk is so that I don't get an angry text from Eddie Kingston, you know, (laughs) um, although getting a text from Eddie Kingston would be really cool. But you know what I'm saying? Um, It's it. It's hard, but I got to give it to him, you know,
0: because I would think like Savage's best opponents probably were Lawler, Steamboat and Flair, if I had to really think about it.
2: With um yeah, well and i mean even later uh, in his career he had a fantastic long-running feud with ddp so he he did
3: i i would actually throw in of all people like ultimate warrior and yeah and, yeah
0: ultimate warrior and, would be his like and one savage of his b- banner like, I, moments.
3: and i i would not <laughs> i would not use warrior as like an example of like oh he had a great feud with someone like but i it Savage no one else like savage made that work
2: yeah it's a testament to savage's ability that
3: i i
0: used that match as a defensive warrior to say like yes warrior wasn't a great worker but when you say he has no merit as a worker watch that match because like there are plenty of workers that could not have put their spin on like a five-star match like that like i'll use him right now because i crap on him all the time but seth rollins could not have pulled that off because seth rollins would not have would, not, would have had to do his own, like, get his shit in and would have ruined it.
2: Seth is not, a, Seth is another, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying this in a way of, like, I still, I have to give the guy credit because the guy has been on the top of that particular company for a long time. And been successful at it. Even if I have not been a huge fan of it, I still have to give him his credit. So, but Seth is one of those people that has very much a formula style. It's just, it happens to be very athletic.
0: He wrestles and, like a lot of Fed pillars accuse other wrestlers of wrestling that aren't.
2: And you know what fed. the hell of it is? I don't think that it's necessarily a bad thing. That some people have a style like that. No, it's actually, just,
0: actually, my problem with him with it is, like, he does not deviate for gimmick matches. And you'll be in a cage and he's doing all of his bullshit instead of, like, incorporating the cage. That's where I get mad at him.
2: Another example of, of what makes me grumpy about Seth Rollins is that he has too many high spots that should not be high spots. The, you know they should be finishes. I I will fully admit, hand to God, I get really grumpy that the Canadian destroyer is a, a mid match spot now and not a finish. Like the, the um, Adam Cole using the Panama Sunrise pisses me off because that's not his finish; it's a setup for his finish. So Seth Rollins doing a, a superplex into a Falcon <laughs> Arrow for a, 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 a kickout spot so pisses, it pisses me off.
3: I um, this is kind of off topic, but I was uh, well. I guess we went on a tangent, so it's not off topic. A of tangent, <laughs> but I actually was having I had a discussion on uh on the Discord, the mm-hmm. Voices of Wrestling Discord, the other day, and I, I was basically making the argument. Uh, people obviously agreed because I feel like in that there, there's certain environments out there that. You can not like
0: have an, op- an honest discussion. Yeah,
3: and I, and for this isn't it's the, the there are people who are like minded in in some respects to I guess kind of the way we view things. Uh, yeah, like
0: in, our in press, discord, like, our discord with our friends, like we're yeah we're we're very much all like even when I don't think we 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 are like we end up like kind of in the same yeah realm of opinion. I,
3: and I mean, some sh- people are are way more like uh like other Brad <laughs> Brad Ryder. Is uh, way into like indie wrestling, Japanese wrestling. He he watches a ton of stuff. Like I, I wish I had time to to watch the stuff that he does. Yeah. Like I don't. But what is like I was having the discussion uh, in that Discord about the Shield numbers and really more like the comparison between like Roman and Seth. And some people are are would make the arguments like oh, Roman's better than Seth, which I I actually strongly disagree i think that roman actually was had developed into a pretty good at least wwe main event wrestler but since he basically signed a contract that lets him work like six times a year and of those six matches or whatever he he does a year he like you know he like pauses mid-match to do like a monologue it's the, the whole community theater roman joke yeah but i felt he's regressed so I would actually say Seth is way better. He's a way better worker than him, and yet I still feel like Seth would not even be. He'd be maybe like, maybe, the level of mid card talent in AEW. I think that I think,
0: that, man, I, I will I think give...
3: Moxley Moxley. I'm sorry to cut you up. Okay. Moxley is has lapped lapped both of them in terms of like his actual. But the quality of his work, and just, like, his actual work rate. But he's allowed
0: to... My defense of Seth, though, and what you're saying about Moxley, which is true. I'm not going to disagree with what you said about Moxley. Mm -hmm. But Moxley has been able to do that because he has actual creative freedom to wrestle. And I Mm -hmm. I think the problem with Seth is his instincts aren't great. And he's in an environment that really lean into and encourage those bad habits that he has like being too formulaic Mm. and you know wanting you to do the same thing over and over again which he wants to do anyway so while those things do bother me about seth i do think his environment makes it worse and with (laughs) roman um i've never thought roman was good i'm just going to be honest that that idea to me that he was good for a while never made any sense to me because his matches always sucked and but where he's at now though is he was never talented enough to work 11 times a year
3: i i guess i would i would agree agree and disagree i i actually would i guess i would disagree in that i think that he did get to the level of good however you want to find good good it's like it's not he's not in the wheelhouse of like kenny omega or brian danielson or even some other like Moxley. I, uh, there's other people in AEW you could name. Like I don't think he's as, as good as they are. Uh, both in ring and like character work. But the tran- what I guess what frustrates me is I don't think he was good. I I think he was good. I think he was good at the WWE style of main event, but I think he's regressed. I think he's regressed mm. like substantially. And maybe it's it's a regression in that the storyline aspects of it is that he's going to pause mid match, it's going to and and give a monologue or he's going to just talk with his opponent or whatever. It is going to be like every match is eight thousand run ins and in interference and and just even booked the, to hell, like overbooked to hell and back.
0: Even if the stipulation is specifically there to prevent run ins or they get thrown out yeah. of the building, they're I, still going to run
3: in. Yeah. So it's almost like it's almost like back in the day, like the eighties. Uh, where it's like, oh, why, why am I gonna go out there and do a bunch of flips or whatever like that? It's like I don't have to do that. Like I can go and work a headlock for ten minutes and you know take it easy on myself. And maybe that's the style. That's that's what he's. That's the kind of.
0: That used to be the WWF style in the eighties. Yeah. Like you'd see like Bob Orton Jr. Like who's just awesome in all these territories. And he gets to WWE and it's like, like oh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do all that shit. Like I'm getting paid to like dog it now. Like
3: Well it's I, uh I mean the last episode uh it's hold on one second. It's the last episode we did, like we we, we watched some matches of pre WWF Jim Duggan.
0: Yes that tape fist match is so good.
3: Um and we saw a different side of Duggan where it's like Duggan was actually pretty good as a worker and
0: very interesting character too like he was very i don't know if we've ever encountered a character quite like him He was
3: it how would you quantify it to me it's
0: blue blue collar badass that was kind of dumb but also knew that he could probably punch his way out of most situations so like being dumb wasn't the worst like issue
2: yeah he was a flawed character yeah Oh. Who had a strategy that worked usually worked.
0: I'm dumb. He was Popeye the Sailor Man. That's what he really
3: was. <laughs> like, kind he was of. kind of like a caveman. Yeah. Like, a, like, I'll, like I'll say good nature because he wasn't like explicitly like a heel or didn't necessarily have heel leanings. He's always he's kind of largely been a face if you look at like the majority of his like in ring. Yeah, he, he was he was a brute. He was not
0: he, when they were doing like the rat pack i think he was a heel for like a year maybe mm-hmm. and that's he tough. was
3: obviously like late late wcw he was kind of a heel with, with team canada but he that, that was such a it was, it was but he it also people kind of got into him so he was like turning
0: it was, yeah. new. it was kind of like it, there was a novelty to it
3: yeah but but yeah to, to finish my thought like that's that's a good example you bring up that style because it is an example where it's like we saw duggan win these matches and he was a good worker like i would actually say he's a good worker a different a good worker in a different aspect than you know for omegas
0: no i think you know, i think Brian work great snobs might not like be into him but like yeah i think but he, I he think... had a
3: niche and it and it worked like he he worked uh, but then he went to the WWE, and it's like, it's a different animal. You know, it's you know not who, as as good, in my opinion, even though it, the, there's still entertainment value in, in the, the WWF, WWE, Hacksaw, Jim Duggan. You,
0: you know who I think would blow people's minds if they were just – had only ever watched WWE is like the Bushwhackers pre-WWE when they were just these blood brawlers called the New Zealand Sheep Herders.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like crazy violent. Well, um, it, I, I want you to get your thought. Um, Chad, but even like to that to that end, like Sergeant Slaughter, I I, we've talked about I've talked about him many times on the show. It's like I wasn't as familiar with Sergeant Slaughter and most of what I saw of him was kind of like I guess from some of his like AWA run in the eighties, but also his WWE or WWF run. And, you know, if, if that's what it's basing on, it's like, yeah, I just thought it wasn't that good. But then I saw like all of his a lot of bunch of his 80s stuff and it's like, oh, my God, this guy was actually really good. Yeah, I could sell his ass off. And you wouldn't know that.
2: So my my I'm going to go back to where we started on this from Um, mm-hmm. the. Yes. Number one, I'm going to I'm going to agree that I never, ever thought Roman was was really good like he was obviously the guy that they were behind and putting their shoulder Mm -hmm. into but even even in his series of matches with of all people AJ Styles when Roman was in control it was still boring Mm -hmm. it was still not interesting Roman would do something and be like oh yeah I was gonna do this spot and then he would do like a Splash Mountain. People are like, oh my gosh, he did a Splash Mountain. It's like, yeah, but there was no flow to it. And then he turns heel and his character has new life because he's doing something different and people are into it because it's something people called for for a long time. Still don't think he was good. And straight up, I I think I'll agree with you, Seth, I think is better. But the drawback that I get with Seth and and Brad you were we said this earlier but the fact that his he repeats his spots a lot, Seth Rollins comes off to me very intentional in my phrasing comes off to me as like the mass market indie work rate guy.
3: No, he does
2: athletic stuff he does he does athletic stuff and you get to see the cool spots happen over and over again. Because you want to see him do cool stuff. But since you're wanting, since the directive is people like it when you do cool stuff, you have to do that same cool stuff all the time. And so, at least in my eyes, it undermines him and what he does out there because damn it, why in the hell are you doing a, you know, the Superplex Falcon Arrow for a two count? Um, but it, it's it's what they have done is they have they have basically at least in terms of ring style pigeonholed Seth Rollins as this is this is indie work rate guy with a corporate spin on it so everybody can see what they wanted to see and frankly that's still way the hell more interesting to me even though I know what's coming it's more impressive and interesting to me than Roman especially now effectively doing nothing and then perplexed all the time. And, and even during his face run, when it was supposed to be that he's, Oh, you know, a fighting champion and defending and all. It's just like, dude, you know, his stuff didn't string together. He's like, I'll take you in the corner and I'm going to do the three Lariat hits right here, because that's a spot that I thought I could do easily. And, oh, we're going to do a Splash Mountain against AJ because AJ can go up for it. And like, or
0: like there when was no wrestled Lesnar flow. and they had like five-minute matches that were just F5s and like yeah. Superman there,
2: matches. There was no flow. And it was disjointed and uninteresting. So, I mean, I'll agree with you. I, I think Seth is better than Roman. They don't match with Mox because... Moxley is the kind of guy who is is going hey I want to go out and do new stuff I I just want to I want to try it I want to go do new stuff I want to wrestle people I haven't wrestled before but Moxley's gonna do
0: Moxley's going to also meet a lot of those guys on their own turf too so like oh I'm gonna wrestle Kenta like well Kenta and I are just gonna potato each other for 15 minutes oh I'm gonna go to GCW well I'm gonna bleed like well um oh Tanahashi like well we'll just we'll do like we'll do like a more traditional match there. Like that's, I think that's a big difference with Moxley.
2: Mox. I, I remember from his book, he made it a point one year when he worked in WWE to, to wrestle more matches than anybody else that year. And like, it wasn't even close just to prove he could do it. And he could, and he was still over. So the, you know, he was not overexposed the same way. And so, uh, it, it it's it's an interesting contrast for these three guys who were in this group together to see like this this spectrum of ring workers and I mean on one hand oh yeah it's, it's super easy to dog on them and on the other hand it's like well okay I never hit that level but that doesn't mean that I can't look at it and go man they're this this is overblown for where this is. Can I, um, can
0: I throw out a name I would never thought I would have said this? Do you know who else is better than Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns currently? Who? Adam Copeland.
3: Uh yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Hey. Like,
2: Copeland has an he has had a stretch of learning from. Other veterans in terms of stringing story together and a I I know he went out because of next stuff but he's also he had longevity because he he didn't kill himself every night unless Seth finds a way to, to find some like equilibrium. I, I'm, he's gonna have he's gonna have a major major joint injury at some point here's, and i don't wish this on him but it's gonna happen
0: here's why he's better than seth rollins have you guys seen the minero Suzuki match yet yeah
2: okay. uh, i
1: have
0: not so he's almost 50 years old and like he's not my favorite worker but man i respect the hell out of the sack he showed going completely out of his comfort zone and doing like a Japanese style match that he's never done before and making it work.
2: Mhm. It and, did. It
0: and that's the first spirit I've ever seen him do I've ever seen him do that looked like it hurt.
2: It was fascinating because it was like you said it, it was not as good as many other of that style of match that we've seen on TV.
0: No, but for And, a guy, and that's okay but it was a guy like totally doing something never done before. And I yeah. was like, I was like, man, like this isn't like amazing, but like, I, I like hats off to you for doing this.
2: And even at the end of it, when he went to, he went to sh- shake Suzuki's hand, Suzuki's like, nah, oh, piss off, man. And walks away. He even hangs a hat on. He goes, you know, I think I would have been disappointed if he had shook my hand. Like he got it. Okay. And, and the, apparently if, if the scuttlebutt is to be believed, that was his idea. He just looked at Khan, and he's like, hey, you know what? I'd like to wrestle Minoru Suzuki sometime. And Khan's like, okay. And then he called him day of, and he's like, hey, guess what? You're working Minoru Suzuki tonight. And he's like, wait, yeah. what? So,
0: I... The only time Suzuki broke character was when um, Liger was retired and they wrestled. Because he... Uh... They had their, like, match, and he had him down. He was going to, like, hit his chair. He was going to act like he's going to hit him with a chair, and he just dropped it, and he, like, did, like, a bow to him, like, on his knees and face to the mat and then left.
2: Oh, wow. Okay.
0: Because, you know, showing respect to the man.
2: I, I just... From everything I have ever heard, the guy, Joe Inouye, is a really nice guy. And helps people out. But I have never. I don't have really, to like
0: his. I don't like that's the thing. You can be a nice guy and I could still not want
2: to. Yeah, I have never really been a fan of his in the ring, even even the in the shield thing where it's, you know, he's the, the hot tag and the base for the triple power moments like that's great. But he's the least interesting member of the group to me. He's I, I, just I, the big
3: guy. I 100% agree. He's to me, he's always been the the least interesting one of them, and I'm not, I'm not as down on uh, on Seth as perhaps like Brad is, but I also am not that big of a, a Seth fan. Um, I just, I I I don't really care for Roman. I thought that I, and you can look at old episodes of the listen to old episodes of our show, mm-hmm. like when. When Roman first turned heel, I thought, like, oh, well, this is actually interesting. Like, the Mm big Roman, interesting. But here we are, like, three years or more uh, of him just dominating everything. And it's like, I'm tired of it. Yeah. And we're now, go back, also listen to old episodes, folks, (laughs) of the show. We talked, I believe it was basically the night, like, right after WrestleMania 2022, when he, like, won both belts. And I said then I'm like I'm out like I'm out yeah you said like pe- I,
0: I you said before that you'd said I really wish they would have I know Lesnar's not gonna win but I wish like Lesnar would win just to like shatter my expectations like for five seconds yeah yeah uh, yeah
3: and I but I I said at that point I'm like I'm done like they've made Roman. Like the unstoppable Superman, and I now feel now he like has
0: three belts because they gave him the piss belt.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like it's it's just <coughs> it's too much to me. So I'm, I'm
2: yeah. bored.
0: Are, are we ready for the next battle yeah. here? To to
3: I we should we should actually hang
0: a hat on this and come back next week and and converse about do a
2: do a shield comparison.
0: Yeah, that, that would actually be. Why don't we we could we could. Ooh, wait, who? Wait. What did we?
3: Who won between Savage and Funk? Funk. Funk. Ooh, you know what we should do. I should I, do. I, didn't, I didn't get I didn't get oh. my spot, oh. uh, even though I I, I uh, said how much I love Funk, but I, I would give it to Punk. But this one, a uh, Funk. Sorry, not Punk. Funk. <laughs> uh, Ooh. Uh, f- this is a, this was a tough one though, because I actually love like love 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 Randy Savage, mm-hmm. and he's one who I I I. I think about Randy Savage sometimes where it's like if you if you want to compare, because WWF slash WWE has always kind of been for the most part last few years, notwithstanding a promotion that really heavily pushed like the, the 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 baby face ace. Yeah. And it was Hogan. And then the weird period where it was like, well, they tried to do Warrior and Warrior didn't work out. Then there was a weird period where it's like they had to put it on Michaels and Hart because of reasons, and but then it was like you know the Austin era, even The Rock too, yeah. And then they kind of transitioned into Cena, and Cena was like the last big like ace, yeah. Like Roman, but Roman didn't work until it he became heel, but I think it's they kind had of that. Some... Savage was that for, for a little bit, yeah. but people love Savage, but I don't know that people would put Savage necessarily. In, like, the, the Mount Rushmore that they put people, like Hogan or
0: Austin. Savage was never in, like, a situation, other than, like, Memphis and ICW. Well, not ICW, because of the... Savage was never in, like, I think, a place to shine properly, especially when it comes to, like, in-ring stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, because I think, I think would have would have been really interesting... And a really interesting what if of history and what it might have changed about his trajectory is if he had actually jumped ship to the NWA in 1989 like he almost did. Mm -hmm. Like, I think if he had done that, I think like we might have a totally different like outlook on him. Like when doing more work rate stuff, I think I think if they had not botched him entirely, I think WCW might have drawn a bit. You know, I think Savage and Flair would have been massive for the NWA. So I think that could really have changed the narrative around him, too, and really kind of knocked him up a couple notches on the ladder.
2: So I think interesting point of, of heavyweight titles, heavyweight championships that Savage held. I can't swear to it, but it sure seems to me like the person that he kept losing him to was Hogan.
0: I'd have to look. I think he lost all of them to Hogan.
2: Yeah, that's that's what I thought. And I couldn't put my finger on it, but that's
0: no, that's not true. I bet. No, 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 he did not because he lost one to Flair.
2: Okay. Anything like Flair that? and Hogan were involved in all of his his. Um, yeah,
0: I would have to look at his WCW title
2: reigns. I think.
0: I think Flair beat him once in WCW for it. Okay. Uh, but yeah. now, um, what I would say though to his benefit as a draw though is, being the guy after Hogan and biz business not crashing and burning with you as champion is like a testament to, him.
2: Yeah. Um. To. One of them is just a quick aside because you were talking about the progression between the WWF and using aces, like the stretch between Rock Austin and Cena's ascension. At least for me, was the most interesting time uh, for them because you had the, you didn't have a single dominant guy on top really. It was it was rotated between. Well, they kept rotating it between people, and so it was. It was different and it, it you had a collection of you know, awesome characters at the top of the card. And for me that was that was way more interesting. Um, the other thing is, uh, and I, I think this might get lost in the shuffle sometimes, but Randy Savage may be the guy with the most long lasting pop culture penetration. Because people can say Hogan, it's like, oh yeah, I remember that. But if you say, hey, did you ever buy Slim Jims? And you even today you'll still hear, just never do it. You know, the and and Savage's uh, appearance in um, you know the first Sam Raimi Spider Man movie and stuff like that. It seems to me that at least on the cultural front, he was he's the one with the longest lasting impact. So uh, interesting um outcome on that front.
0: It would be interesting because Flair has a real cultural like guy that he's picked up.
2: hmm
0: Um, especially not even his wrestling stuff, but like his promo stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like if you if you like watch like NFL games and stuff, like the players are always doing like flairisms or talking like flair promos in the, the locker room to each other and stuff. Yeah. And um because that's the thing I didn't understand that someone explained to me later is like um Flair in the eighties, like was really popular with African Americans. And they explained to me because he's gangster. And then it was like, Oh, Mm -hmm. like he is a gangster. Like, I see why he was so popular. Then
2: Flair, Flair had drip before people called it that, you know, he had,
0: you know, he had the watch, he had the clothes, you know, he had the talk and all that. And and they explained, I'm like, Oh, like that makes total sense. Like I never would have like considered that's part of like why he's so popular.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you on that, so.
0: Okay, so we've got the next one, which is another tough one, which I actually don't know how I'm going to go on this one. So this is Ricky Steamboat versus uh, Stan Hansen.
2: So Did I think Chad
3: fall to the floor? <laughs> I
0: think so. I think Chad might be dead. Eh, don't worry, the cat will wake him up or eat him. God
2: damn it. I am just I was so mad at this choice, I threw uh, my headset down.
0: Let's let's. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's kind of so Andre so Stan Hansen. I would, I see is more of like a nineties guy, but so Stan Hansen has the an Andre match going for him, obviously. Yeah. And, um, some all Japan stuff. Now Steamboat has the final conflict, which I think is maybe the greatest angle of all time. He has the savage match, which is five stars, the um, flare two out of three falls match, which I think is five stars. And then I would, I don't think the other two matches with Flair are necessarily five stars, but they're like in the four and a half to four and three force range um, in 89. So, oh, and he has that Luger match. That's really good. from that same year.
3: I love Steamboat. Um, I personally, I, I, I guess I would, I would put Hansen. And the reason I say that is, and it's not, it's almost not fair to steamboat because even though some of he's had uh, amazing matches with, with with flair there was of course the savage match uh the final conflict stuff is, is fantastic but i feel hansen just was in there with like a different generally like a different quality and caliber of, of worker uh in japan yeah that's true. so he he's just had so many great matches with a lot of like top Japan talent like some of the best workers
0: Jumbo Saruta Mm. Brody I don't know who he worked as much in um, in New Japan I wonder if he worked Choshu speak amongst yourselves I want to see if there's a Hanson verse Ricky Choshu match
3: I don't know but I mean like Kawada Masawa Kobashi Kobashi, He, he was just he was in there with some of the, the absolute best so i would give it to hansen just because again it's almost not fair it's like you, of course you're gonna have good matches with that level of talent but
0: oh yeah he has i don't ma- feel he has, it's
3: like he was caring
0: he has 80 he has matches in 86 with choshu we don't have to watch those because mm. i i have to say like when we did the killer con show i forgot how great like choshu is just as like a baby face You guys there?
2: Yeah, I'm here. I'm still
0: uh, contemplating. You know, I should have probably put Choshu on this, uh, on this <laughs> list.
2: I, I do not have enough familiarity with, with Chosu to, to have an opinion on him, so I would have ended up recusing myself on that one.
0: That's the problem with um, like the 90s goat one, though, is that one gets real ugly because then you'd have to have Mizawa on there. Um, yeah. Uh, Kawada, Kabashi.
2: It feels like that it would have to be, at least for what I, the, the width and breadth of what I'm most familiar with, I would say we'd have to make it a North American 90s in ring goat as opposed to worldwide because I just, I don't have the experience.
0: Even like, oh man, like a 90s goat, like psychosis would have to be on there.
3: Yeah, you'd probably like, like Eddie. <laughs> it so, so to go to Shad, I, I would almost be like, you can't even. You have to be like American, American, Santa, Canadian.
0: Santo would have oh, Santo. Oh man, because we we.
3: But you could you could fill it up potentially just with lucha doors. Like there's some Cause, absolutely amazing lucha doors.
0: Because like when 90s. we watch, when we've done a bit of lucha stuff. Like oh man, like uh, Santo was amazing. Like Blue Panther was amazing. Like Ray and Psychosis were amazing. Like when we did um, the Viano Atlantis match, was, which, which was from like 2001, that like they were both amazing in that. Mm. God, like we need to do more Lucha. I love Lucha so much. I think that's what Shad's like the most out of when we deviated out of like
2: <laughs> the style. Uh, God, I am so torn right now because. You guys, you, you're right about the caliber that Hanson was up against and holding his own and, and putting out stuff like that. You're, you're right. On the other hand, though, I sit here, I can sit here and think about, I don't know if I can ever remember, for example, seeing a bad Ricky steamboat match. And with some of the real slugs that I've seen Ricky steamboat in the ring with, that's more notable than it first appears, too.
0: He was even good in the Ricky Stark stuff from the summer.
2: Yeah. And so I. I hate to do this, but on this one, I've got to I have to drop too close to call and I, I can't actually. I mean, you guys. I'm getting up agreeing, so it's not going to do any, you know, it's it won't change anything, but I can't split the atom on this one.
0: So what I think I'm going to do here is I'm going to pick Ricky Steamboat and I'm just going to base it entirely on the strength of having what was the best match in WWF probably for the first like f- up until like the sometime in the 90s.
2: Um, so you're backing me in the corner so I have to decide. Well,
0: no, but I'm saying so I'm going to – did you you pick Hanson, Matt? I picked Hanson. Oh, uh, so I have to. So let me. Th- I'm thinking here. So I'm gonna. I'm gonna. So I have to take Hanson and Andre and put that against Steamboat's best work.
2: You and know what do like, you pick for Steamboat's best work? Is that against Flair? Is that Final Conflict? Is that the, the Mania um, three was savage. The two
0: out of three falls match with Flair would be my like mountaintop performance that I've seen of Steamboat. Okay. Because cause the thing is, like, the Savage match is awesome, but they rehearsed that.
2: They did. That was Savage's thing, is Savage... Savage was the one of the guys that wrote a script for everything beforehand.
1: Yeah.
0: I,
2: I don't put that on Steamboat. That was a Savage thing.
0: And And I'm pretty sure the two out of three falls match they called in the ring. So I would say that is, like, his... We should do that sh- match on the show sometime, but... Th- that match is awesome. That match is like an hour long. If you watch it, it does not feel like an hour. Like, it is... It's probably, like, one of my favorite matches of all time. Uh, so, I would say that is his best work. Now against... Now against... Hanson and Andre, though. Hanson and Andre is just a spectacle. Like, the, his I don't think I've seen... Like... Hanson and and Andre was like watching that PCO Walter match
2: that Hanson Andre is is they like to uh, the the movies used to like to use this quote for whatever they wanted the summer blockbuster to be. But and not to be cliche in saying it, but Hanson and Andre is that white knuckle thrill ride that you don't know what's going to happen, but by hell, you're going to hang on the whole time. Cause you've got to see where it goes.
0: Yeah. And if you would have put little buildings in the ring, like <laughs> they would have been like quite the kind, of, you know what? Like, I think I'm going to go with Matt. I think I'm going to pick Stan Hansen.
2: That's kind of where I thought I, I was going to go.
0: Cause halfway, I don't want to put Shad through breaking the tie.
2: Uh, I mean, if you make me do it, you make me do it. And I just got to yeah. live with it. But so, it's
0: the last one's going to be really difficult for me. So okay. this, this is Jerry Lawler versus Ted DiBiase. So this one, this one sucks. This is almost as bad as the last one because like I could see a conceivable bracket pairing where either of these guys would win for me for the best of the eighties.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because, you know, Lawler ran a whole territory with like great matches weekly. Like I've seen a lot of them. Like Lawler is just always interesting no matter who he's working with. But man, we've seen some eighties Ted DiBiase stuff, especially like mid South house shows and, Oh, man, like Ted, D. like especially like the tape fist match, the Brad Armstrong match, um, the Pat Patterson match from like seventy
2: nine. He's he
0: just
2: he was a machine yeah. Yeah, of, of just doing great stuff. Um, And I am I'm going to I am less um emotionally involved on this one for the simple reason that I I appreciate appreciate the living hell out of both of these guys, but I am less like personally invested in both of them. Um, and if like if it's if for me the difference is going to break down to and I'm verbally processing this, so you know, if I'm starting a sentence and I don't know where it ends, please just let me go with it. Um the difference is going to be the work rate caliber of DiBiase versus the psychology aspect of Lawler. Because DiBiase's in-ring work rate, like we said, was just, just incredible. It was just fantastic. Lawler was able to take damn near any crowd he was in front of and have them eating out of the palm of his hand without having to kill himself to do it. So which one fits our criteria here better? And now I got to sit and stew on it.
0: Oh, it's tough.
3: This one is very tough for me. Um, cause I look, the, uh, the announcer, Jerry Lawler just got completely like over the top ridiculous yeah. and, and not in a good way. Uh, but Lawler, as a worker and a talker, was absolutely phenomenal.
0: And he was mm. a decent worker, like when he was way old too, just because he had like the mm. he
3: had yeah, the knowledge. To, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I did love DiBiase, um, and I love the Million Dollar Man gimmick. He's so good at that. He's so good. It's I almost feel like. It's the way it's, so this is tough for me because I feel he I I'd have to look up when DiBiase started he may have started like what he may have started like late 70s uh, but 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 effectively like early early edging into mid 90s his in ring was done so
0: yeah, he busted his neck
3: yeah although I saw a clip the other day that I really almost want to go back i i want to explore this because i guess like even after he left he left the wwe and i thought like oh okay, like the in the early 90s wwf yeah and i thought like oh that that was the end of his in ring but i guess he had like a brief period even if it's like one tour where he went and worked like all japan and like i want to see those matches like was he still like Was there still enough juice left in the tank that he had some good stuff going on in, like, 93 in all Japan? Like, I'd be curious to see, but...
0: uh, I bet this one's on there. There's, um, from 93. Actually, um, we might come back and do this one next week, so it's, um, if I can find it. So it's Ted DiBiase and Stan Hansen versus the Holy Demon Army in 93. Oh, man. But, so, um... I just lost my train of thought. Oh, he debuted in 74.
3: I, uh... Oh, yeah. So, he had, he had like, mm, roughly, like, a 20-year career.
0: Did it, was his dad dead by the time he
1: debuted?
0: Mm. Let me look. Iron Mike Yossi died in 69. Oh, oh
2: yeah. I... Iron Mike. Okay.
0: because his dad had a heart attack in the ring, I believe.
2: Yeah. For some reason, I thought you were talking about Lawler and I was trying to figure out why that made a difference. Oh, no. But yeah, I remember I remember from his shoot interview about it. And you know what? I think. Just parsing a little bit more. Lawler. Did something that I respect a lot of guys for being able to do is he was able, because if you go, even if you just watch the I'm from Hollywood documentary, you see how law you get glimpses of how Lawler worked. And he was so good at being expressive and you always knew what Lawler was doing by his posture and stuff like that. And that's that. I mean, God, that's so impressive. And he was very good at doing more with less. But this particular list is best in ring worker of the 80s. And if I'm going to have to, based on what I've seen, if I'm going to have to split between the two of them, I'm going to have to give this one to DiBiase. Like it's, it is, it is a fine line. It is split in a hair,
3: but I'm, I'm leaning into DiBiase, I think. So, I feel in some respects, I don't know how fair it is just because I feel he had a longer career and was good until late. But, so I would almost, that's to me, that would, you would think in my mind that it would give the edge to Lawler, but Mm -hmm. I'm kind of with you, Chad. I, I, I actually think I would probably give it to I think I would give it to DiBiase. Okay,
0: I'll give it to DiBiase too. Then. Since, it's uh,
3: it's just right there, man. Like, I I just feel like I like him more as a worker. Yeah. And from what I've seen, and but can I uh can I, can I go back uh just a minute ago? What's up? Sure. Uh, this is something because it just the story kind of just came out um like a few days <laughs> ago. <laughs> okay. What are you What are you laughing at? Uh, I'm sorry. I thought you were going somewhere else with it. Go ahead. Uh, what are you talking about? <clears throat> don't Don't worry about it. Go okay. ahead. And do your thing. Uh, oh. This is actually about Steamboat. Okay, go for it. Yeah, this was a uh, something that came out. uh like about a week ago or so. But Joey Janella, formerly of AEW, and he's he obviously done a lot of GCW stuff and indie stuff. He told a story, which I it's so it sounds. If you know anything about him, it sounds so Ricky Steamboat. I believe this this story, if it is it has to be true, and if it's not true, I'm Sad. wanting it to be yeah, I'm willing it to be true. Like <laughs> but Joey Janelle tells the story. He goes, I almost tricked Ricky Steamboat into turning heel when he was the special guest referee of a match between me and Tamatonga. He would stop counting my pin. Like, this is Joey. Joey's. Joey's Janela's plan for, for Ricky turning heel was, like, he would stop counting my pin and then, like, reveal a Bullet Club shirt. I told him that, I told him they were a babyface stable <laughs> <laughs> until somehow he found out they weren't. And so he, then he, like, he, like, relates the conversation. He's like, Joey, are the Bullet Club heels? And Joey's like, Ricky, I mean, they are, like, popular. <laughs> and, and Ricky goes, Joey, I've never been heel in my career. I never will. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I I love that story. I absolutely, I hope it's true. I want to believe it's true. It sounds he exactly like. He was actually
0: like kind of teetering heel when he was commissioner of TNA before, like, they ran into their initial budgetary things mm-hmm. and they couldn't use him anymore. I think he would have ended up heel in mm-hmm. that situation.
3: Yeah, but I love it. Like, Joey Janela almost tricked, almost tricked Ricky and, uh
2: That's funny. <laughs> that's, that's yeah. fantastic. Okay, that's a, that's a great rib.
0: He wanted to Um. at one point, and I think Pat Patterson said, like, you could literally chainsaw someone's arm off and you're not going to get booed.
2: (laughs) It's. Wow. Okay, that that's.
0: (laughs) I still love that from Final Conflict, though, how. They did that dichotomy of like Slaughter and Cronodal had like the custom made suits and stuff and they gave um Young Blood and Steamboat like off the rack.
2: Ill fitting so, ones, yeah. yeah.
0: Just such little details like that I wish you still got. So okay, we're going we're going to the semifinals now, and this is gonna be interesting. So um first up we have the really crappy one, which is Ric Flair versus Terry Funk.
2: All right. I'm going to first blush this and the first blush I'm going to have on it, given everything we have said, everything that we have talked about, everything that we have gone through. I'm going to say this before I stop myself from doing it and say that I'm giving it to Terry Funk and I'm stopping there.
0: I would say I'm going to give it to Ric Flair, only because I think the 80s is probably like a weaker decade for Funk because of an activity for parts of it. That's Damn, a, you're right. Yeah, so I, I would say, and I would say this is also Rick's, like, goat decade, too. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, you convinced me. Damn. Oh, you're That's- switching? Yeah, I am, because... Hey, here's the thing. Everything we have said, and then I, as Brad's talking, I realize that everything we've been talking about has been uh, Funk's entire career. Yeah. and and yes yes his entire career has been just nothing short of spectacular but this is flair's prime era where he could damn near do no wrong and and brad's right and i i have to go i was i in the scope of this discussion he's right and I was wrong
0: because my because my and now if we we're talking about if we were talking about the all-time goat list, Funk would probably win for me because if you were to look at my, if I were to give you like my best wrestlers of all time, I'd probably be like Hushin Lager, Terry Funk, like Mizawa, Flair, Kawada, Bret Hart, like in that kind of order would probably be like the top of my list. So Funk I, would probably I get that, be. But... So Funk would. Funk is probably my number two all time behind Houston Lager. So like if if this was like not the eighties, like funk would win for me, but
2: Okay. That's yeah, that's 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 where I yeah. 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 Okay, I'm sorry, Matt. Go ahead.
3: Oh, I thought for a minute I was gonna have to be like the tiebreaker. Um Again, I'm I'm so conflicted about Ric Flair based upon how he effectively has been lately. But yeah,
0: you know, yeah, no, I mean and, that's a that's a mark on his legacy.
3: Yeah, uh, I wouldn't even call it a mark; I'd call it a tire tread. Yeah, but I uh, I feel like I I will also go with Flair. Um, I think that that is a great point that that even though. Funk did like amazing stuff in the '80s. I do feel like the '70s was more his. I guess you could say prime, but his like the real like strong, like heavy like work stuff that he he did like that was really. I feel like in the '70s. So and Flair Flair really was just phenomenal. Like the '80s was like the '80s was Flair. Mm-hmm. Like I. To the extent it obviously it wasn't Flair, it was like Hogan. So in their respective kind of worlds or companies, like mm-hmm. it was it was Flair, Hogan. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay. I was gonna bite the bullet and ride that one, and then Brad's like, "You're you're you're forgetting our parameters here," and I was like, "Damn it, he's right." Yeah. So then the
0: the obvious second semifinal is Stan Hansen and Ted DiBiase which this is this one's really tif- difficult for me because my first thought is Stan Hansen but then I'm kind of thinking like you know like Ted DiBiase really has a lot of good work that I've seen on house shows and like in Mid South and like you know Hansen's got a lot of good stuff I've seen from the 80s too and like it's just and I, I kind of want to say handsome, but then there's a part of me that wants to say, say Dibiase too.
2: And we're going to get very quiet, which is not good for a podcast to do because we're all sitting here thinking very, very hard
3: about what our answers are going to be. Um, I'm going to look something up because, ah. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to look something up.
2: So, Brad, you said that that Hanson Andre was 82? 81. 81. All right. Needed that for a little bit of framing. Um,
0: Because a lot of the gdos stuff in Mid-South we've seen is like 84 and 85, and I think we might have veered into 86 on one of them.
2: uh Uh-huh. Yeah and
0: and the well I mean we can't use it but the Patterson match we watched in WWF that's awesome was like 79 so we can't use that one
2: no we can't do that but okay wait when was when was Hogan's WWF debut
0: 80 oh 79
2: it was 79
3: okay okay hold on
2: what have you found Matt you're worrying me (laughs)
3: No, it's, it's, it's such a tough call. It is. Um,
0: I want, I'm, I'm, hold on. I, you can keep talking. I wanted to see if Stan Hansen got any more observer five-star matches or awards in the eighties.
3: Okay. Uh, yeah, that's so basically what I, I was just looking up. I mean, I wasn't looking up observer awards, but I was looking up, uh, like a cage match his matches for the eighties versus the nineties. And it's actually really close. In my opinion, it's really tough, but so I'm going to go and say, and I'm going to use the metric. I'm going to use the, it's maybe it's a cop out, maybe, but it's a caveat that I'm going to, I'm going to employ Flair Uh versus funk. Brad made the argument. Well, funk's stuff was better stuff. Best stuff was from a different decade and flair, but it was, the 80s was the decade of Flair. So using that same metric, looking at 80s Hansen versus 90s Hansen, I personally, and this is it's subjective, but I personally would almost feel that 90s Hansen his work was better than 80s. Hansen.
0: I would I it's, tend to agree with that. Now, can I can I just throw these in here real quick though? Yes. Start our conversation's okay. So, for observer, he got best brawler in 85. Uh, tag team of the year in '82 with Oli Anderson. Now, Tokyo Sports, which I'm going to use for this because I think that they have some credibility to add. He got the popularity award in 1980, match the year in '88 verse uh, Tenryu, and then oh fuck, we should have, damn it, I need to stop. Okay, never mind, I got distracted. And then '82 <laughs> versus Giant Baba, best foreign award, foreigner award in '82. So. That's a little more hardware he amassed.
3: Yeah, '80s. I'm uh, looking at. He still had great stuff. He had two really good tag teams, uh, at least two. He was Brody. part of a tag. Brody. Well, three now. Brody. He actually also t- teamed in the '80s uh, in All Japan with uh, Terry Gordy. Oh, I forgot uh, about that. Yeah, and he also in 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 All Japan and other places. He he tag team with. Ironically, DiBiase, um, mm-hmm. but I still I still probably would go 90s, even though in the 80s he had like Tenru as an opponent, Jumbo Saruta as a as an opponent. Uh, he had a lot of good matches there, but
0: and and I think the other thing that hurts his 80s work in Japan mm-hmm. is. They didn't buckle down and, like, start doing clean finishes until, like, 89 and 90. So, like, if you watch a lot of the 80s stuff, it's all the, a lot of bullshit, like double DQs oh, and
2: double counts and would, stuff. Which, that would seriously piss me off.
0: Which was the style. Because I told you, like, so, um, you remember the little muscle toys when we were kids? Yeah,
3: yeah. So, Ultimate was, muscle?
0: Yeah, the little muscle toys when we were kids. The little tiny pink guys. yeah. So that was a manga in Japan called Kenny Kumon. Uh-huh. So that was so predominant that he did a, he did one of the... Like, he did a joke in one of the comics where Inoki and Baba were, like, got into a fight. Like, just as a side... It's like a two-pound joke where they get in a fight, and then they fall out of the ring and they both get counted out. Like, that's how predominant it was that they did a gag about that. Wow. Like, at the time. So, um... Which is, if you want to read that, it's hilarious because Terry Funk actually has, he's actually Terry Man, okay. so he has his own, he has his own ultimate, he has his own muscle character. Um, but I would say, I would say that I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna actually use that as a tiebreaker for me to say Ted DiBiase because I think Hanson's quality of work would be hurt by the way they did finishes at the time.
2: Yeah, just because that was the style at the time. Does not mean it won't piss me off. You know, it's it's here, guys. I will make my one annual Simpsons joke because I didn't watch the show just because it was a style at the time to tie an onion to your belt doesn't mean it was ever a good idea. Mm -hmm. So um, with that in come to light, that would that would severely aggravate me. I've been and... haunted
0: by that meme Justin posted in general the Joe Biden one. like, I had sex. <laughs> it's just like, I burned into my memory. I'm just like, God damn, Justin.
2: Um, Sorry. The I... show Justin has is causing psychic damage on the yes. podcast. Yes. Um, the. Yeah, with with those sorts of things, and and like you said, Hanson probably having a bigger run in the '90s than in the '80s. Then I, I, yeah, I'm. Mm, it's hard. It, I'm. I'm a little surprised to say it, but yeah, I'm leaning over to give it to uh, to DiBiase in ring at least. And. We we need to point out we're we're hemming and hawing on this so hard because these are guys we hold in such esteem that it's a really hard decision well, to make.
0: The thing you have to understand if you're listening to this is like we're trying to we're taking this seriously. And like when you get to this point, like Canson and DiBiase to me, like I have to start looking for granular like nitpicks to. Yeah. Differentiate like I just like you heard me do it. Like I decided that the finishes in in all Japan and New Japan are why I didn't pick hansen like that's Mm -hmm. that that's how nitpicky you have to get when people are that close in your brain
2: yeah and you picked that and threw it out there and knowing that that's a pet peeve of mine too
0: and like even like um rick flair vs. terry funk i said the 80s wasn't his best decade and shad changed his vote because you Mm -hmm. have to be nitpicky and granular
2: yeah yeah if 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 we're doing like I, I also say that there is a difference between doing all time goat and all time favorites, because that's, that's a different conversation too, because you know, my, well, mine my, my, and Matt both personal all time goat is sting, mm-hmm. but you're going to have, we would have a, a harder hill to climb to put him on the, Quote unquote technical all time goat list, you know, like, yeah. So it's, it's, um, you know, it, it, yeah, we, we have to, we have to get right down to it, which is why it was so hard for me to say that between Hansen and Steamboat, I couldn't make the decision. Like, that's how tightly the two of them were running. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you.
0: Okay, so this is the finals. So this is Ric Flair as Ted DiBiase. So this is also a difficult one. Oui. So I I do have a thought process on this. Does anyone want to kick it off? or you guys, do you guys have to mull for a second?
3: Uh, I I actually I I don't feel like I need to. I feel go like for I, it. I feel like I would give it to Flair.
0: Yeah, I would, too, because my my reasoning is Ted DiBiase is awesome in Mid-South, but like he really does have a void once he joins the WWF and like doesn't have like great people to work with and like isn't expected to really be a workhorse anymore.
3: I mean, I would agree with that, and I still felt like he his work is underappreciated. I think you are correct that he was hampered, that he he was a much better worker but you didn't see as much of it because he didn't have the, the same level of a of, of competitor I guess if mm-hmm. I to put it um, but I still felt like he he did have strong work he was able to go out there and have good matches with, with certain people and I felt his character work was just fantastic
2: mm mm-hmm. it's a it, it it falls back over towards um what was put in over Lawler for me because mm-hmm. the conversation here was 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 which is which and if I'm going to remain consistent in my uh criteria and cause I don't I don't feel like it's fair to just change my mind because I want to like, if I'm going to be consistent about it, then DiBiase went from being that in-ring guy, like you said, to doing more of the character work, which is not what we're grading on. And I mean, it's cliche, but here's the other thing. Cliches happen for a reason. Like it, it doesn't come out of nowhere.
0: Cliches aren't necessarily bad either.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, TV tropes has a whole thing that's tropes are not bad; that's, they're just commonly used devices.
0: I actually think I actually think TV tropes is one of the worst things that's happened to modern writing because it's convinced a generation of writers that because it's on TV tropes, it's bad, and it's mm. like, and so they try to subvert them now. It's like, no, like, t, like you need tropes because people need to know where you're going to have investment.
2: Yeah, because it, okay. <clears throat> what is it um, – is it – this is going to be a weird reference. Please hang with me. The hardest book in the English language to read, was that Ulysses by James Joyce? Is that what it was?
3: That's what people said Okay, for many years.
2: Yeah. So the damn thing about that is the storytelling in it and that sort of stuff might be great, but the fact that he keeps changing the rules as you go and changing – character names and shit like that not to get crass but i mean what in the hell else am i supposed to say means that yeah okay it's it's brilliant that he's doing all this sort of stuff but it makes it damn near impossible to read and,
0: and at that point, i don't at that point you're just like um you're just kind of beating off in my face like with your intellect instead well, of trying to like to like, instead of actually trying to write a good book, you're just, like, masturbating on the pages.
2: There's – I mean, there's something to be said for pushing the limits and seeing how far you can, you can take this particular thing as an artistic exercise. And, the okay, plenty of fair things enough. have
0: done that and been accessible. Like, I would say – I mean, I know Shad doesn't like it, but I would say something like Watchmen – in the comic realm or like the Dark Knight Returns, those are pushing boundaries and like, yeah, trying new things, but they remain accessible at the same. Yes. Time. Oh, use a great one. Um, Neil Gaiman's Sandman comic is all sorts of pushing boundaries and it stays accessible, even like his book, American Gods, like pushes a lot of boundaries and it stays so, accessible
2: the comparison that i was going to make is you can have something that is a marvel of engineering of how all the pieces fit together and how well it's designed and that sort of stuff but if what you have designed is a car that doesn't run go from point a to point b that you can't ride in then it it misses the point it, you know it is not actually a car what you have is a car shaped object That imitates a car. And so if you discard tropes, then what you're doing is you're discarding the common parts. You know, you're you're just discarding the the common the pieces, the you know, you're 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 like if I'm not going to use any tropes in making this it's like, well, then, you know, you're trying to build a car that doesn't have a transmission to it or something like that. It's a bit of a broad metaphor. But just but tropes are not bad.
0: Or or you and... or you're trying to subvert the language so much, like Pathfinder two, uh, second edition does this. Whereas like you're screwing with the the language so much that you actually kind of write a convoluted book because you're trying to like change something. So instead of like in like Pathfinder saying like well to hit like to to roll, roll to hit, you're saying well you're going to use the whirly gig instead, and suddenly like. You lose the plot because you're, um, or even um, Pillars of Eternity did that. They were trying to do D and D, but not D and D, and then the whole uh-huh. system sucked because, like, D and D works for a reason. Did you play Pillars of Eternity?
2: No, I never touched. Never it. Never play it. Uh, yeah. So, just because it's a trope or commonly held opinion does not mean it's wrong. And you know, Tom Brady. Tom Brady is regarded as the greatest NFL quarterback for a reason, even if I don't personally care for him. You know, there's a reason that he has that. There's a bunch of standard metrics that are like, yeah, that's the case. That does not make it a bad opinion if you agree with it. You are not bad or mentally deficient for agreeing with that opinion. And in this case, saying Flair was the best in-ring worker of the 80s, it's, I mean, that's a commonly held opinion for a reason. And
0: conventional wisdom is, is is conventional wisdom for a reason. And like, I would say, I would say if we did like a nineties goat, he would be on the list, but he wouldn't win for me. But like, in my no. opinion for North America, like Flair owns the eighties and it's not even close.
2: It. yeah, I would agree. I might say it's closer than you guys say it, but you know he's, he's out in front. It, it, it's, it's also easier to separate it. You guys mentioned the ick factor on, on flair with a bunch of stuff that's come to light recently. It's easier to separate the art from the artist just because of the time frame. Whenever this stuff came to light, um, you know, we we are separate. It's 20 years ago, not 20, God,
0: 40.
2: it's 30 to 40 years ago where we're this time frame of his work when we're talking about and all of this flair stuff just now coming out like intellectually. We know it's the same person, but it's easier to separate the two in a a, a thought exercise. So. Eh, like, you're right. The factor is definitely there, but it's it's also. Not as hard to to
1: well,
0: to I, hold for. I, I, this is not a defense of him, okay, please people do not take a defensive of take this as a defense of him, but most of the guys working in the eighties had that same like ick factor about them, so i you know it's hard to it's hard it's it's hard to hold that like necessarily against him if I'm going to watch eighties wrestling because half of them are in the same boat
2: mm. Well, there it is. We got there, gritted teeth and white knuckled the whole way.
0: Yeah, I kind of wondered if someone might pluck it out. I actually thought I actually Terry Funk had my vote for a while and then I really started thinking about it. And I was like, no, flares like the 80s isn't like I wouldn't call the 80s like Funk's decade.
2: It's not his prime time.
0: Yeah, because I would even say the 90s is a better decade for Funk than.
3: In the 80s?
0: Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I wouldn't say his in-ring is amazing in the 90s, but I would say him is like, and his importance to wrestling was.
2: Oh, okay.
0: Bigger. And he would more also, of a factor.
2: I would also say it's, it's more consistent because it is something that um, he was regularly doing as opposed to, it seems like in the 80s, it was... Like highs that would pop up here and there, and then he you know stretches between. Yeah, yeah.
0: Because yeah. I really don't think he did much in like '87 or '88, if I had to look. Right. And so, so that's it's hard to, and so it's hard to vote for a guy that like is inactive for a large period of times. But like you know the '90s, he really did have like a, I wouldn't say necessarily a positive influence on the industry, but like he. You know, ECW was largely built on his back.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: you know, the, the Japanese stuff, uh, Chainsaw Charlie. Yeah. Which
2: was over. It, which, which helped solidify. Uh, it, it was something that helped solidify Mick Foley as as breaking into the top tier. Um, it was was that that feud and kind of that. That ability to to show off that side of him a bit more. I
0: mean, he got over wearing pantyhose on his head. So, I mean, you got (laughs) to give it to the guy.
2: I still to this day, I don't think anybody ever got an answer as to why he didn't just want to be Terry Funk for it. But I I mean, I think. All right.
0: I think so. If I had to guess, I think Vince one I think Vince wanted him but Vince he was a little too old in Vince's eyes so they put the
2: they put a mask on him that didn't really obscure who he was yeah
0: so you knew it was Terry funk but then you know Vince can be like well he's not old at least <laughs> it's just his face covered I don't know that's that's always what i i that would be an interesting one because Foley's never talked about that part of it I guess he never was in on those conversations
2: the only thing I remember. And that may not be a lot, but he said for some reason Terry wanted to do it that way, and that's the only thing I can remember uh, Foley talking about.
0: And that's also my favorite Foley story: is were they working in Japan when this happened? Where he finally gets to work with Terry yeah. Funk, and he's like, "Here it comes, like the legendary Terry Funk punch, and it's it's like you punched me." Like, you really punched me. He's like, oh, shit, you thought I was actually good? Yeah.
2: That was in his first book. He's like He's Terry had this, his left was a thing of beauty, and he's got me in the corner. And I was always curious about how he did it. And he rears back, and he just whacked me. And he said, and I felt like when kids discover the truth about Santa. And he, he, he whines to Terry after the match. He goes, I thought you had a really good, you know, I was looking for your left hand. And it turns out you just hit me really hard. Oh shit, Cactus. You just thought I was good. All this time. <laughs> oh shit. Oh, Cactus.
1: <laughs>
0: it, it, I, I was so sad when Terry died. Oh, we need to mention that before we go too.
3: That's Terry so, Funk died? <laughs> no, about uh, so,
0: about um about the guy that ended up in heaven because uh hell said he was too grumpy.
2: Oh. Oh, I'm not sure that that would happen. Um,
0: Actually, my my but, reaction was when he died in our Discord, I posted like the Uncle Ruckus and Ronald Reagan and white people heaven in the Boondocks for Oli. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Um, oh, it's the shirts.
3: The shits, shits. This... Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck your wife. <laughs> <laughs> That's an inside joke for people who have listened to laughs fan.
2: Um, but that's,
0: that's, uh, he was racist, you know, by the way, ask Teddy along,
2: but it's, it was just what yesterday that only Anderson passed away. Um, I, mean, I mean,
0: true wrestling legend. Like, let's not like, he's a, yes. he's a meme and stuff, but if you watch like stuff with him in it, like he's a great promo, um, his ring isn't necessarily like my cup of tea, but like, he's a great promo. I'd love his tag team with Arnie Anderson. Hmm.
2: Um, Part of what stands out to me about Ole Anderson is, frankly, his run uh, in the the mid, and early and mid eighties as a booker, because he he was booking Georgia well,
0: in that like time the, frame. The the show.
2: Yeah, and he was he was kicking the shit out of Vince until Vince pulled some shenanigans with TBS. I think.
0: Well, the, 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 he bought the Briscoe shares, but it was. It was starting to wane at the time. Like, they were... The booking was getting bad. He he had to to,
2: wait for him to to weaken a little bit.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think from, like, 79 to, like, 82, they were, like, the thing.
2: mm Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Ted Turner always credited uh, wrestling as part of what made TBS a thing, so...
0: There's a funny story. So, Ann Gunkel, I think, owned it before... And then they got it away from her. And this just shows how dumb, like, when people t- whine about how um, how Vince, like, put everyone out of business. So, like, she used to own the territory, and they kind of, like, edged her out. And mm-hmm. then she started running outlaw as an opposition to them. And, you know, because wrestling people are dumb, like, they it took them forever to, like, put her out of business running outlaw on her own.
2: Yeah, because yeah, I I think if I remember from the Death of the Territories book, she was sore about it, and you know she actually kind of knew what she was doing.
0: Yeah, it was Ann Gunkel, right? Like I didn't, yeah, it was Ann Gunkel. I'm pretty sure.
2: Okay, Uh, I remember the story. I was I was trusting you on the name because I couldn't put I I couldn't put the name to it, but regardless.
0: Yeah, like the, 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 the wife of the owner like got pissed at them and ran outlaw and they could not like put her in the ground is pretty much. Mm-hmm.
2: So So yeah, there went uh there went Oli.
0: Yeah. Grumpy into the, the grave, orgasms didn't even make him happy.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is that anytime somebody says that name, that's the first line I think of. I I cannot help myself. It's it's just it just seems to be so descriptive of the man, you know?
0: Yeah, it was Ann Gunkel. I was right. (laughs) Okay,
2: And then there was the. I don't remember where I saw it. It might have been somebody on Reddit put it up, but it was it was someone asking (laughs) Ole Anderson about politics. And he's like. I'm 70 years old and I don't know where I am half the time. And these people who are in these positions that don't know where the hell they are half the time are running the damn country. And you think I'm going to be happy about that shit? Which was just a remarkable statement that took me off guard. (laughs) Yeah.
0: There's that infamous observer radio thing with him and like, Oh God, was that like 2002 or 2003?
2: I don't know. You, you got a little, you got a little staticky there for a second. What happened in it?
0: Oh, that there was like an observer radio thing with him where he got really grouchy and he's just being It
2: was kind of infamous
0: at the time.
2: Okay. That, that, that was, that was the era where I was really starting to dig into the, the deeper side of this. So I may not have caught that, uh, quite so
0: i wonder if he's is he in the observer hall of fame probably oh he's probably in with um he's probably in with gene
2: okay Uh, i was gonna say it you know was as a member of the horseman but
0: tag team of the year no he's not in Huh, interesting
2: he's not in there at all
0: he's in the nwa hall of fame I would have thought his team with Gene would have gone in.
2: Well, as has been made clear this year, the Observer Awards can sometimes be somewhat unpredictable and <clears throat> fickle.
0: Those are weird, such weird awards <laughs> though. Like Thickle. how? Well, like what I don't understand. Like, and I, I'm not even. I think WWE was the promotion of the year just from a financial standpoint. I don't disagree with that, but. How um how does someone get Booker of the Year, but none of their shows won any of the awards for shows of the year?
2: I mean, the predominant theory that I saw, and I don't know if this holds any water. I won't claim that it does, but the predominant theory I saw is there were a bunch of people that signed up simply to vote for that one category and didn't vote for anything else.
0: That would make sense because because like I would think if you were Booker of the Year, you like. SmackDown or Raw should be show of the year. because Dynamite one show of the year? I think so. Like you'd think a pay per view might take like a show of the year or something. Um, like, cause I don't think, cause this, cause like I'll say I don't think Tony Khan should have gotten it this year because I don't think AEW is particularly well booked. I would have probably given it to whoever's booking CMLL. Mhm. Um. Like and I wouldn't have given promotion of the year like personally like I would have abstained this year because I thought WWE sucked. No, I'd I'd have given it to CMLL, sorry. Uh, but like Stardom had some booking issues and I know there's this whole thing where they're trying to say all the bad booking and Stardom of the last year was like Bushi Road's fault and like they forced Rossi to change it. But like I call bullshit on that. I've watched Stardom for like. Eight years now, and like those are all Rossi isms that seem like things he would do anyway. Like, I don't know how much weight Matt puts in. I think Matt's on the same boat with me that a lot of those are like Rossi's screw ups that are mm-hmm. getting blamed on Bushi Road. Yeah. So I wouldn't have given it to Stardom this year. Like, I wouldn't. I don't know who I would have given Booker of the year to, actually. Oh, CML. I'm oh, sorry.
2: Well, uh... I
3: mean. Yeah. It, Go ahead, it's, Matt. Uh, sorry, <laughs> sorry to cut you off. Shout out, you were about to talk, but it's okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I I probably would agree with you. Like, I don't. I don't know that I would give it to Tony Khan. I I feel he's a, he has a stronger case than Triple H, but I wouldn't give it to guys that it, uh, you would think otherwise. Like like Rossi. Like I don't know. I feel 2023 in many ways was not a great year.
0: No, it was a wrestling. bad year. It was a bad year for wrestling. I think it was yeah. probably the worst year since, um, oh, twenty seventeen maybe.
2: Which is weird because there were a lot of also really good things that happened this year. The that year, like, like the Continental Classic was outstanding. But
0: yeah, but like New Japan had a bad year. I'd say CMLL yeah. had a good year. AAA was just worthless that year um i thought stardom so stardom was like really good in ring but stardom's booking was really bad i thought um tjpw really did a lot of dumb shit last year and so um like i think all japan was pretty good noah like really just screwed themselves with bad decisions as they always do um um I thought impact really kind of had a bad year and then I thought ROH was a disappointment. So like, I I just think in general, like 2023 wasn't a great year for me personally. Like that's the first time in probably like seven years that I really felt burnt out on modern wrestling. Oh, and maybe it was sucked. So
2: it was a very uh, turbulent year. Like, there was just a lot of weird stuff happening. And so, with all this weirdness going on, screwing up booking plans and that sort of stuff, like, even, so, even like, for example, even with me, by and large, enjoying AEW for the year, there's a lot of weird stuff that happened that screwed with it. And so, you know, I can't... Um, even saying that, I got to look and go, "Yeah, this, this, this is a weird year."
0: I was kind of over the MJS stuff pretty. I got, over, I was over that in June, and I had another six months to deal with it. I
3: I can't even begin to tell you the the level of hatred <laughs> that gets uh, on on some internet platforms like like Twitter and even like Discord. Some Discord servers they just absolutely hated that. MJF storyline and I I didn't really like it and I felt it kind of I people actually, have really
0: I actually like the part everyone hated where like he kind of turned face and like he was just getting the shit kicked out of him every week because it was his chickens coming home to roost and like no one had his back like I liked that part
3: I thought him as face was interesting but people did not really care for it and they felt the, the general consensus is that it was way too essentially wwe sports entertainment and i don't i don't necessarily feel like that's entirely wrong uh
0: i think it's overstated but i don't think it's wrong
3: yeah i i also feel like it, they unfortunately were hampered by the fact that it, i think obviously it seems like adam cole as the devil was always the plan mm-hmm. i think him getting legitimately hurt really derailed things for like a, a couple months. Yeah. And they, they were, so they were treading water and then they couldn't do, they can't, they couldn't pay things off with like MJF versus Adam Cole because Adam Cole was hurt. And then MJF obviously has gotten hurt with his shoulder. So it's like, but it's, it's also unfortunate because a lot of people, I think somewhat unfairly blame MJF for this. I mean, I get, I get how I get some of the criticism I don't think some of the criticism is wrong. Like he did seem, he was your champ. And I, I do feel like he was kind of like presented as like a goofball, even though I do agree with you, Brad, that there were some, some aspects I like where it's like, yeah, he was a face and that was interesting, but it also is like it's chickens come home to roost that a lot of guys don't like him. And he's still kind of like a douchebag. Yeah. Um, well that was like the whole, his whole catchphrase, right? Like, I'm, well, I'm people's scumbag, like I'm your yeah. scumbag. Uh, I just didn't think it worked out, and, and what's unfortunate a lot of people are really like loving since the beginning of the year the direction of AEW.
0: And, Joe's a great champion. That's the thing I, I'm upset about for this pay per view. Is like, is there a way to not derail Page and swerve and get keep the belt on Joe? Because you know the, the I
2: magic... 100% think so, but the, I'll yeah, I'll let you
3: finish your thought. I, yeah, I have a thought to go to that point, but go please finish it.
0: So the, he did when after the hook match. Really I like the hook stuff with him, but mm-hmm. he sits down at the announce table and like hooks leaving and Taz is sitting there. And he's like, who raised that little savage?
2: <laughs> it is. It is Samoa Joe getting fl getting his flowers that he should have gotten a long time ago. He's um, So good as champion. I it's, He is. It's
0: and you know what else I loved about him is. He he was legitimately pissed he had to wrestle a three way at this pay per view.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my, you know what, Matt, you go you go with yours and then if we're on the same page, great, and if we're not, then I'll do mine.
3: This is something that I saw. Uh, if you if you know her on Twitter or follow her, but do you, I, are you guys aware of Lyric? Yes. Um, they wrestling like she post, she retweeted something that someone posted and she's like, oh, my God, if this happens, she's just saying if this happens, I'm going to faint. And I read what the, this person wrote. And I, it's like, you don't want to take <laughs> you don't want to solicit and, and then run with advice from people just mm-hmm. randomly on Twitter. Yeah. But to me, if they were to pull this. I would think it'd be brilliant. I would absolutely love it. Maybe you're thinking the same thing, or you saw the same thing, Shad. But I agree with you. I love, I love Samoa as champion. I don't really want him to just be a transitional champ, right? At the same time, there, because I, I, I run our Twitter, and I'm, I'm very involved with like the Twitter aspect of, of you know, wrestling. Twitter, there's a lot, a lot of people clamoring for a swerve championship reign. Mm-hmm. And I get it and I'm not against it. I I'm in favor of it because I do feel that organically like there has been a lot of popularity with Swerve. People are really behind him. I'm a little where it's like I don't because I feel like he has done heel things that I don't think you can easily just be like, "Oh, I'm a face now." Like I I I don't think that they should make him a face yet. Right. Or it there's more work to be done to get him to that level.
0: You could turn Nana on him down the road too.
3: I, there's ways you could turn him face, but I don't feel but, but I'm not saying I'm against Swerve getting crowned as champion. But I also just love Joe as champion, so I would like to see maybe Swerve becomes champion at like double or nothing. Mm-hmm. And you just give Joe a little bit more of a reign. And then you could go back. Uh, but the thing that Lyric retweeted and that someone came up with that I think is brilliant, you have this hangman swerve feud, which has become almost like this. This I feel has reached a level and is continuing on that path, but it's reached a level that when it's all said and done, this will probably be like. In its own way, at least in the AEW realm, this will be like Flair Steamboat or it will be, you know, who like whatever, like st- Sting Hogan in the nineties WCW.
0: It's one or, of the best or rivalries.
3: Hogan Hogan's yeah, Hogan Savage in the 80s and WWF. It's 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 become this like amazing iconic rivalry. And what someone suggested, which I think is kind of brilliant, if if they're kind of working the gimmick that Page is absolutely in going insane over swerve not winning the title and swerve not him not being able to beat swerve then what they might they could do to save joe's reign you know continue on is that somehow and i so you have to be careful with this because you also don't want to like you don't want to do the hogan uh nash finger poke of doom yeah kind of thing but they were suggesting it's like, okay, you have three-way and maybe like either Joe puts Page in like the, the clutch mm-hmm. or Page is like in a position where he could get pinned or whatever. But it's it, it seems like Swer could possibly win the title and Page either taps out or Page does something that he like gets pinned or allows himself even to get pinned. And kind of there's ways you could to, do. To yeah keep there's it ways from... you could do it where it's like you don't necessarily have to be like finger poke a doom, but he could just be like to to prevent Swerve from winning the title, he could be like okay I'm just gonna let Joe hit a finisher on me, you and it's could... like that's not that's not quite the same as a finger poke. It's like you actually in the context of things you're allowing a guy to hit a move on you, you that could... you know is gonna knock you out.
0: You could do like a double KO spot with them, and Joe just picks one of them off like to keep his belt. Or even do something where they're like maybe like brawling on something and Joe pushes them like through a table or something and then just pops like probably you should pop page back in the ring and just chokes him out to finish it. Like there's ways you could.
2: Yeah, because you don't want to hamper swerves. The way I looked at it was and it it's a it's a similar mindset, Matt. It's not exactly the same, but it's the fact that you could run. A storyline where the the sheer simmering hatred between Hangman and Swerve is so much that they get blinded in the moment and and lose focus, and Joe does something to take them out. Like the the how, yeah, the how is honestly completely beside the point. But just if you have this moment where the two of them are standing in the ring and they're just like, you have had this, this triple threat match. And these guys are just absolutely, you know, waltz them across Texas daddy and, and there and back again. And the two of them are just on their knees in the middle of the ring, just wailing on each other. And since AEW has this weird thing, that triple threats are no DQs, I guess uh, I'm, I'm not a big fan of that, but it's, it's kind of established at this point. Um, you know, they're they're doing that and they're just they're just like hitting each other and it's getting like weaker and weaker. And they're just doing this. And they just they're just hammering each other until they're like forehead to forehead, just barely propping each other up because that's all they've got left. And then Joe sweeps in with something and just just flattens them and then just falls over on page and pins him or something like that. What happens there is that they're their simmering hatred is so strong that they could not stop hating each other enough in order to 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 go after the title. Like the the hatred between them is so strong that they can't. And so
1: And you could
0: have Joe instigate on the side too or like kind of cause more strife with them. Because that's the thing where yours makes sense too is because Joe is the ultimate all ul- ultimate he's crafty and the ultimate opportunist so like joe picking one of them off for like even i think joe just like chilling and letting them take each other out to a degree like to save himself like i think there's ways you could do it because it would fit joe's character because joe doesn't care about anything other than keeping the title that's why he was mad about having a three-way because it made it harder to keep the belt
2: Mhm. i just yeah i think that there could be i'm not You know, the the thing I just described is not necessarily like, quote, unquote, the way to do it. It's just an idea on how you could. And I have enough faith in frankly, I have enough faith in the people involved that if this is the direction they were going to go, that they could do it and more power to
0: you could could beat page. He's bulletproof at this point.
2: I. I the only thing that I would not want them to do is have swerve beat him again, because (laughs) at that point. It, it, you're saying Hangman can't beat Swerve. And I, having a one-sided hate feud like this, to me, seems very counterproductive. Because um, at, at which point, Hangman still hates him, but so what? He can't win. Like, what? what's the point? He can't win. He couldn't win as a face. He can't win as a heel. So, you know, he's just, he's screaming into the void against this thing he can't overcome now.
0: Well, and the problem, the thing is, it, well, it defeats the purpose of Paige's character is kind of, and they did it with Moxley in other situations. Well, the title too, is the idea with Page is Paige just keeps hitting his head against the wall until he breaks through. Yeah,
2: you, 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 but you have to do that. You, you can't. If, if you beat him too many times, then. It's not going to be the same because he's already succeeded, but you're going to put him on the level of, like, WWF Lex Luger choke artist stuff when it comes to Swerve. It's like there's no drama because Swerve always wins that. Even if that's not what you're going to do, you're, you're going to lose people because, well, I mean, why would I watch that? You know, Swerve's just going to win. Uh, Swerve always beats Hangman. And it's like, hmm Really don't you know, you're you're going to sap a lot of drama out of it. And that but that is why in this particular case, I think you could very easily have Joe retain just because these two guys, these two driven. You know, on fire individuals cannot stop hating each other enough to to turn and and put the focus where it needs to be because it's like, I could win the title, but that son of a bitch, you know, especially where hangman's concerned. But,
0: um, well, I would, you could also, I mean, um, hangman's going to have the broken ankle as part of the angle too. So you can work around that, but that also lets you write page off to give the belt, the swerve at double or nothing. And then you can kind of go from there. Have rested the program a little bit.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: Even though Meltzer reported it as he actually broke his ankle, because I don't know what's going on with Meltzer right now, but
2: it's it's weird. But, but I mean,
0: but the the broken ankle is actually a good opportunity to beat Paige.
2: That's actually this is this is a weird aside, but that's actually kind of why I like Alvarez more than Meltzer is. Brian doesn't have all the contacts Dave does, and he doesn't have the history of everything, but. Brian is also very willing to go – willing to say, hey, I had that wrong, and and here's what people have told me now. Whereas Dave – Dave's got this unfortunate aspect of he will speculate on something without really qualifying it, and then people take it as, as truth.
0: Alvarez has a better ear for storytelling, too, than Dave does, in my opinion.
2: Yeah. Hey, Dave has a very, like, factual – Way of looking at things, but he it he, he has it feels like I, I should say I it feels it. like he's got a hard time hitting you know switching gears into that speculation mode. I, so
0: I also just like the Brian and Vinny are kind of like an old school like radio show with characters and yeah.
2: good stuff. <laughs> I, I have to admit, the thing that I love about the Brian and Vinny show is just how tickled they get, especially when Granny's involved. Oh, Granny's just They just lose it in there. And she doesn't – she does not care at all, which makes it even funnier. And so, you know, she'll even troll them, which is a lot of fun to watch. But it's – in any event, that's beside and, um, the point.
0: Oreo's become a semi-recurring character.
2: Uh, I thought Oreo was dead.
0: No, Oreo brought.
3: I thought, I thought Oreo died too. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: No, Oreo brought yeah. him the the YouTube plaque a couple months. And then
2: ago. and then it killed him.
0: Oh. <laughs> yeah. I didn't see Oreo died.
2: <laughs> no, you didn't see him die, but the, the not long after that, they're talking about, hey, uh, you know, they're we're trying to get rid of like. 500 pounds of of whale meat here. Where are we supposed to put oh, it? I
0: don't I don't watch every cuz like they they put out their their workhorses. I think they put out like 10 or 15 hours of show a week.
2: So that's something I Wow, I'm we're getting into the weeds here. I'll shut up in just a second. But one thing when I have the opportunity is I like to do the the regular observer radio through YouTube when I can. And they kind of have a formula where it's like, okay, first segment is this is what we're going to talk about. And then each segment is, I don't know, four or five minutes of on this topic. And then they break and then they switch gears. And so it's it does not seem as hard for them to fill the time that they have.
0: Well, they do a lot of retro views. That's really what I love them for is their old school stuff because I really appreciated when they did like the the WWE stuff last year they they went on this rant about how Luger got screwed all the time and it mm-hmm. wasn't his fault that Luger always came to the table and was good and booking always like screwed him
1: mm-hmm.
0: because I'm I am all in because I've seen it like I am all in for the narrative change for Luger that he was actually yeah. good because we saw it we saw it in his 91 run he was really good.
3: Yeah. yeah, he was he was good. I I, I will. I, I've I've come around on that. I absolutely agree that he was good.
2: Yeah, uh, I'm there, too. It he he did not have the, the most flashy, varied offense. But the thing was, especially as a baby face, man, he you could get behind him. You know, he fired up and you could you could get behind Luger. As it, you know, at that point, that sort of stuff. In any Ron event, Simmons in the business. hmm In in, <clears throat> in any event, <laughs> I think this is a good place to call it. Um. So we got a couple of things that we might do next week. Uh, and hey, you know, we're also if if anybody out there does have a request you want us to get after, let us know because we're not opposed to it. But with all of that um rick flair the in-ring guy of the 80s finally settled teeth grit you know all that sort of good stuff we we came to the end on it so this is shad with matt and brad we've been in three corners you're in the fourth and we will see you next time